Let's open our Bibles again to Matthew 24. I want to remind you of something Jesus said. We're going to read it this morning. He said that the generation that sees his plan for the end of days unfolded will not die until it's all fulfilled. Did you catch that? That the generation that sees his plan for the end of days unfolded will not pass away till it's all done. These have been very exciting days since Christmas Eve. I don't know if you've thought about everything. You know, life goes so fast. I mean, this week we had about 30 minutes where our uh, server wasn't working. 30 minutes. I mean, people were sweating at the church. I mean, we couldn't, we couldn't send documents to the printer. We couldn't get our emails. We couldn't send this and that out. And it was just 30... I mean, life has really gotten to be at the speed of light, or at least the speed of electrons. So much has happened since Christmas Eve. I just want to remind you of that this morning, because these have been exciting days for those of us who believe the Bible. It's been thrilling to see. Jesus said, and if you want to look at verse 32 of chapter 24, that the generation that sees his plan unfold for the end of days will witness his second coming. This promise has kept the church throughout the centuries in the word, on their knees, and ready to go at any moment. For this reason, the rapture of the church is not in Matthew 24. That's why it's so exciting to study this, because if you see the events transpiring in Matthew 24, before they click into place, Jesus Christ is going to remove his church that restrains, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the onslaught of evil in its fullest scale through the planet. So Jesus Christ said nothing about the church or the rapture in Matthew 24. This is the signs of his triumphant coming in glory, second coming, parousia, his second coming, not the rapture. That's what this is all about. You won't hear me mentioning the rapture in here because it's not in here. But it's just like I told you at the beginning of the series. When you see Christmas decorations being put up all over Tulsa, what do you know is near? Thanksgiving. No, no, it's not Christmas. Thanksgiving. There's something that happens before Christmas. It's Thanksgiving. And everybody goes out and puts up their decorations, and you know it's Thanksgiving time. And then there's this long period of wait till Christmas. That's exactly what we're talking about this morning. The generation that sees these things, that promise, has kept the church looking for Christ coming for his church. It's kept them in the word, on their knees, and ready to go at any moment. But my question for you is, are we close enough that we could consider ourselves to be the final generation? That's what Jesus is talking about. Look at verse 32. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. But see, it would be springtime when that happens. But you know that summer is near. It's the whole idea. Rapture comes before the second coming. Okay, and Thanksgiving comes before Christmas. Verse 33. So you also, when you see all these things know that it is near at the doors. Verse 34, assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words 
will by no means pass away. So are we witnessing Christ's plan for the end of days? Well, over the last few weeks, we've talked about several things. First of all, we have witnessed the fact that Daniel said one of the evidences that Christ is coming is there's going to be this travel to and fro throughout the earth. Now, in Daniel's day, people moved at the fastest at about 30 miles an hour, maybe 40, in a rampaging chariot. And those speeds never picked up until the advent of modern times. And so he didn't know anything about speeding throughout the earth until the 19th century and the 20th century. That's when people began to speed. And now, now we can crisscross. I mean, uh, last week when I was flying, I, there were people on the plane I was on that were going to Narita, to Tokyo. I mean, all the way on the other side of the earth. And they were, they were making phone calls, arranging things for their arrival. Now that is traveling to and fro throughout the earth. It's just amazing. Secondly, we saw that John said, and Daniel is the one that said the global commerce and then, uh, I mean, the global travel and then the explosion of knowledge, which we talked about. John, the apostle, secondly said there had to be global commerce that was based on buying and selling with a personal number. Now, I have a whole pocket full of personal numbers, and I can hardly buy and sell without them. If you want to really befuddle someone, hand them some money at a department store. They look at you like, you expect me? I didn't pay attention in high school. You expect me to give you change for that money? Where's your credit card? I mean, where's your debit card? I mean, it's just this number system. It it doesn't have to be a tattoo on your forehead. The scriptures say that without a number, you cannot buy and sell. The digitalization of all commercial activity. Has that happened? It's happened in our lifetime. Now there is going to be the person that controls that, the Antichrist, if you don't bow to him, your number won't work, okay? But you already have many numbers. And it's amazing to think about that was never so. Never so, until the end of the 50s, into the 60s, widened in the 70s, became pandemic in the 80s, and now it's just commonplace in our century. I mean, children, buy drinks at QT with credit cards, I wait in line behind them. I mean, they buy a 79-cent drink and they give them their ATM debit card. And it's just digitalization of all commerce. Third thing, Jesus said to Israel, had to be back in their land, and guess what they are, because they're in the newspaper every week. In fact, right now, Iran is threatening atomic bombs on Israel if they at all interfere with their workings that are going on, and Israel has applied to the common market to Europe to become a member for security. And if that doesn't sound like biblical prophecy, then you don't understand biblical prophecy, and neither do I, and that's all going on. But look at Matthew 24 again, because Jesus said a series of specific signs will begin. And when those specific signs occur, they signal the onslaught of birth pangs. Now, have the events since Christmas Eve, have those at all resonated in your heart as being right out of the scriptures. That's, that's what I want to examine with you because I'm not sure, but I want to go through them with you and just think with me in your heart. Uh, I just want to list the facts, and I'm not going to list the facts since the birth of Israel. I mean, just that event. 
is, is amazing. Two weeks ago, I think it was, the Tulsa World even uh, in the Sunday paper showed the headlines for the birth of the nation Israel. Even reading that just gave me goosebumps and made both of my hairs, uh, you know, on my head stand up. It was just so exciting to read how the whole world couldn't believe that, that Israel was a lot. In fact, the Arab world celebrates that day as Nakba. You know what that means? It means the day of disaster. The greatest disaster the Islamic world has ever experienced was the birth of the nation Israel. Do you know why? Because the God of this world, Satan, knows that the Jewish people are God's sign to the world that he exists. And God said, those are my people, and they will never be destroyed, and that they will have their land, and that they will one day be the blessing to the whole planet. And the devil and Islamic religion is completely focused on the destruction of Israel. So I'm not going to talk about all that because all that happened in 1948. Also in 1948 was the birth of the United Europe, the World Council of Churches, the computer was born, the United Nations was born, all in 1948. Very interesting year. has nothing to do with us. What has happened just in the last five months that gets us excited? Well, nearly everyone on earth witnessed the second biggest earthquake ever recorded. You notice I said second? It moved from the fourth to the second this week. Did you know that? They have finally finished analyzing the global data on that Christmas quake, and they ratcheted it up to the second largest earthquake that's ever been recorded on this planet. This week, they did that. Fascinating. Also, uh, the, the biggest solar storm measurable started last Sunday on the 15th. But who even reads the newspaper? But on the 15th of May 2005, the National Oceanographic and Aeronautics Administration said that in their scales, there's a K9 and, an, and a, a G5. Those are the two different ways they measure solar activity. The G scale, which is like the F scale for tornadoes. And then the K scale, which has to do with the effect on our ionosphere. And those two went to the very top. Last Sunday, I thought, oh, that's good. That was helpful that that happened last Sunday so I could talk about this week. And then, uh, this week also, slowly the world is starting to understand uh, the threat posed by living on planet Earth. This whole universe is filled with debris, rocks, basically space rocks. And every so often, one of them hits the Earth. One of them has hit the Earth since the flood because when I was flying to California in March, we flew right over the national monument called what in Arizona? meteor crater. It's a mile wide and 600 feet deep. Do you know how big that rock was? It made a mile wide and 600 foot deep hole, scar on the face of the earth. It was only 20 meters across. Two zero meters. We aren't in metric very much, so that's 66 feet wide. On Christmas Eve of 2004, they observed a 1,000 foot wide rock coming straight toward the earth. And for about two days, they said it was going to hit us. And then they recalculated and said it's going to be flying so close to the earth, it's going to be the largest object to come close enough to be seen by the naked eye on this planet. It's going to have a magnitude of 3.3. It's going to be so bright, you're going to see a rock going right by the earth. And they said they believe that if everything holds up, it's not going to hit the earth. How wide was that rock? A thousand feet. How big was the one that made the mile-wide hole in Arizona since the flood? 
66 feet wide. I mean, these are great days. Okay, let's look at how that fits in Matthew 24, starting in verse 29. And I want to read these together with you because to sort it all out, let's read the passage and listen as I emphasize as we read this, three parts to Christ's warning. He says, when you see this and this and this, know that I'm coming. Okay, Matthew 24, and I'm going to read starting in verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. That's the first thing he says, and the moon will not give its light. Secondly, the stars will fall from heaven. And thirdly, there'll be this cosmic earthquake. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. Verse 30. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Interesting, tribes is ethne. At the end, as you heard last Sunday night, right here from our missionary Don Crane, he said that the whole world is going toward, do you remember his word? Tribalism. It's that word right there. The tribes of the earth. All the, the tribes of the earth will mourn. Continuing in verse 30. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That's called the second coming of Jesus Christ. Verse 31. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they, the angels, will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branches, when it, its branches already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know summer is near. Let's bow together. Father in heaven, I thank you that we have your book. It thrills our hearts. And Lord, the early church had this book, and they saw the world edging toward your return, and they were saying, Lord, come quickly. We're ready at any moment. But they didn't see all the signs fulfilled. And the church of the Middle Ages was sure that your coming was around the corner, and it was. And the desired effect was that they were on the edge of their seats, kneeling in your word and looking up. But Lord, in our generation, finally, it is possible for everyone to be destroyed. It is possible for all the world to see events. We do have digitalization of our commerce. We do have this global travel. We do have knowledge exploding. And now the whole world is becoming aware of solar activity, of objects that are falling toward the earth at incredible speeds, and that all the powers of the heaven are shaken. And I pray as we meditate on these things that rather than getting preoccupied with those signs, that we would be preoccupied with you, our Savior. Bless us to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Three things I want you to mark or take notes on or see in your Bible or at least think about. Number one, Jesus said, when I return, there will be solar instabilities. You notice what he says. It says the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light. Uh, Remember, the moon is reflective of the sun. And so if there are solar instabilities, whatever the sun is doing, the moon is going to reflect it. And this could mean a lot of things. This could mean, I mean, they've been having trouble in China these days with huge dust storms. Have you read? about those and seen that. I mean, we're talking about that, that the people are all wearing masks and you can hardly see it so dark with the dust storms. And they had that in Egypt. They've had that. I don't think it's a localized event. It seems like something is going to happen either to the entire planet, a 
large-scale nuclear event would cause it to get dark. You know, all that stuff. Or an object hitting the earth at a fantastic speed would also cause that. So there's going to be solar instabilities. In the past year, astronomers have witnessed the greatest solar activities ever recorded. The largest and most powerful solar eruptions have dazzled their instruments and made scientists wonder what's coming in the future. On May 15th, that was a week ago today, Forecasters at the NOAA, that's their website, that's what our tax dollars are funding, said this, a geomagnetic storm on the sun last Sunday has been classified as an extreme event, measuring G5, the highest level on the space weather scale. This even registered nine on the K-index, which measures the maximum deviation of the Earth's magnetic field. So that's, I just read their blurb, which is posted online. No comments. I mean, it's just an event. What they said is, if it, it usually these things, what happen is they erupt and go away from the Earth. They just they, in this one, if you look at the pictures, it's erupting off the side of the sun. I don't see how that can boomerang around and hit us. But what it's telling us is, if the sun ever erupts on the front instead of blasting out its sides and back, then this event will will fry buried cables. Did you know in 1859, actually there was such a solar event, it's the largest one ever recorded, it started fires on the earth because the power, the generated radiant power went into metal objects and they heated up so much that it started fires. I mean, we're, we're talking about the sun can do big stuff. And it says, first of all, there's going to be these solar instabilities. Just for a moment, let me show you Revelation 16. I'm going to track you. Keep your finger here. We'll go right back to Matthew. But look at Revelation 16. Here's the event. Uh, a first century man witnessed the event. John, a first century literal human being, was transported by God, and he actually saw the event. See, Revelation is an eyewitness on the ground record of what happens in the tribulation. John actually witnessed the tribulation and wrote it down. In his mind, uh, he saw the events that happen in the future. Only God can do that. He actually put him into the future. But look at what it says in Revelation 16, verse 8. And the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat and blaspheming the name of God who has power over the plague, and they didn't repent to give him glory. Solar instabilities. It's going to be this, it's going to be uh, this, by the way, sunspots are black. And so the highest radiant form, it isn't always it's going to be brighter. I mean, if there's this huge solar storm and this huge sunspot, it would actually darken the surface of the sun, and yet it would generate more energy than is comprehensible to us. So, just interesting. Uh, This prophecy is clearly divine judgment on unrepentant man. It's interesting that this event is of great enough proportions to alter the Earth's atmosphere. Because whatever it does, it gets dark. And the clouds of dust and debris of an atomic war could cause this, but there's certainly something going on with the sun in Revelation 16. Go back again to Matthew 24, and I'll keep reading. In, in Luke's record of what Jesus said in Matthew 24, he just says in Luke 21, 25, there will be signs in the sun. Uh, Matthew says it darkens. John says it scorches. Luke says signs in the sun. There are signs in the sun. But I don't think this is the scorcher last weekend. 
but it's happening. Secondly, look at the next part of verse 29 of Matthew 24. When Christ returns, first, there's solar instability. Secondly, there are global fears of something hitting the earth, okay? Look, look what it says in 29. Uh, right after the sun and moon don't uh, give their light, it says the stars will fall from heaven. The stars. Now, to an ancient who did not have any telescopic knowledge, stars were all those bright lights in the heavens. And a bright light in the heavens falls to the earth. I'll tell you what. A 66-foot-wide, 20-meter object, a 1,000-foot-wide object, or... The one I'm going to read to you about, it's very hard to find 66 and 1,000 footers. Most of them are a few miles across. But I'm going to read to you what would happen if one of those things hits the earth. Now, I'll give you the eyewitness on the ground account. Keep your finger here and go back now to Revelation 8. John actually witnessed this event, too. That's what I love about the scriptures. Matthew 24, you can track right through Revelation. Because movies are made that that record events no one thought could ever happen till our generation. We have become aware that objects are hurtling through space faster than bullets headed our way. And John, the apostle, witnessed one of those objects hitting the earth. In chapter 8, verse 10. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven. Sounds like Matthew 24, 29b to me. I mean, there's a bingo. There's, there's a, a concurrence. A great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And that is exactly what a uh, iron-based or just a rock, space rock, it, it, whatever this thing is, when it comes through our miles of atmosphere going at thousands of miles per second, it's going to just burn off and get brighter and brighter. In fact, the leading edge will be as bright as the sun. Okay, the front edge of this thing coming in. So it's burning brightly like a star. It's burning, he says, like a torch. Verse 10, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. We don't have enough of anyway. We're using them too fast and they're depleting. What it's talking about is drinking water. The United Nations is worried we're running out of water. And God says, not only are you running out, I'm going to poison it all. Because verse 11 says, and the name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became wormwood. That means they were bitter and poisoned. This was a very, very, like hemlock, you know, remember that, that was a poison of the ancient world. So it, this wormwood, and many, verse 11 of Revelation 8, many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Okay, so that's the second one. Now back to Matthew 24. Let's look at the third one. The third one. The first one was solar instabilities. second one was something hitting us. We don't know what it was. Uh, it could be a comet, it could be an asteroid, it could be a meteorite. It could be this monster, demonic creature. We don't know. Third one, Matthew twenty four twenty nine, And the powers of the heavens will be shaken. What that means is both natural and supernatural phenomena. It means Luke continues to say that people's hearts will fail them as they look up and they see all this stuff happening. They're going to see stuff whizzing toward us. They're going to see the sun changing. They're going to be getting scorched. Uh, it says, we, we started this thing way back in January, saying the waves will roar like they did in the tsunami. And I told you that at the end of days, enough people are going to die in the earth, it's going to be like three tsunamis happening each day for three and a half years, okay? We're talking about uh, you know, a million people a day dying. So that's what the tribulation's like. Now, if you think about the events in verse 29, the part about stars falling from heaven 
is the one I want to just spend the most time with you this morning because that's the one that is most plausible for us to track in the news, okay? Uh, the solar spot stuff, we're not sure sunspots and solar storms, and we're not sure what cosmic earthquakes in the heavens are. The Bible doesn't describe that. But let me talk to you about what we just read, this one-third of the water. Astronomers have concluded, and I'm going to just read to you from, you know, I was a junior astronomer, and I ground my own eight-inch lens to my reflecting telescope, so I really love astronomy. But astronomers have concluded a giant space rock strikes this planet and leaves a huge crater every 150 years. You know that, right? You know that the one I just talked about in Arizona happened since the flood. It didn't happen millions and millions of years ago. It didn't even happen 50,000 years ago. It happened since Noah's flood. Do you know how I know that? Because Noah's flood put a mile deep layer of sediment all over the earth and the meteor crater is on top. It's visible, okay? It's not buried under all that stuff. And so it's, it's something that's recent since the time of Noah. But... Here in the USA, we've made a national monument out of that. And as I looked down at it, I began researching that 20 meter wide or 66 foot wide rock that hit there made a 600 foot deep, one mile wide scar. Okay, so that's, that's what it does. Now what happened if a rock that size hit Newark, New Jersey? Now, God forbid, you know, I'm not against, I don't know anybody personally in Newark, but you might. So I'm not saying hope it hits, but that's 10 miles. That's within visual sight of New York City. What would happen if the meteor crater happened today in Newark? I mean, would it end the world? Not really. If it hit Newark, uh, New York City would only feel a moderate earthquake of magnitude 4.7. Not very much material would hit Manhattan, and the winds would only rise by four miles per hour, but it would kill everybody in Newark. So, I mean, that thing did not have a big effect. It just made a hole right there, and it was pretty localized, and it just blew out for a little bit around the hole. But what about the one they saw on Christmas Eve coming toward the earth that's a thousand feet wide? Let's have that hit. If a rock from space like You want to look it up on the internet? It's called 2004 NM4. It was a a near-Earth object, and there's much in the news about it. They've been announcing it ever since Christmas Eve. Uh, I'll explain that one in a minute. But if that thing hit uh, in New Jersey, it would make a two-mile-wide crater, but it would hit New York City with a 6.4 earthquake, which, which would probably knock down a lot of the buildings. And, and also throw a lot of debris. But a rock that size isn't really probably going to be life-threatening for the planet. But notice what it says in what we read in, in uh, chapter 8 of Revelation. It says that it's a star, and it's so bright it flies like a torch. Let's talk about a normal asteroid. Let's talk about a big object hitting the Earth. What would happen if it hit? Um, in fact, let's have this one hit San Francisco. I don't know anybody there either, okay? If a, if a normal asteroid hits San Francisco, the crater would be 113 miles wide. So that would mean there would be no San Francisco or Bay Area or the Sequoias or Monterey. It would all go away, okay? That tells a story. The entire metropolis would vanish faster than you can say where you left your heart. What isn't consumed is knocked over in an earthquake of a magnitude 10.2. 
Now this Sumatron was nine, they just upgraded nine three. This would be, uh, on the Richter scale, a thousand times more powerful because it's of a higher, one full magnitude higher. Bigger than any record in history, heat from the scorching fireball would turn the entire state of California to toast. That's how much radiant energy an object that big would radiate. The quick end of the Bay Area was a blessing compared to what L.A. would face. Ten seconds after an asteroid hit San Francisco, the radiation from the fireball would burn plywood in Los Angeles. It would ignite everybody's clothing. It would burn plywood in Los Angeles. Do you know how far? I mean, it takes eight hours to drive from L.A. to San Francisco. In ten seconds people would start on fire with an impact of an asteroid. Within two minutes, the ground under Hollywood would shake and most structures would fall off. Anything that wasn't burning would fall over. But six minutes later, the 133-mile crater, all that stuff went somewhere, and what goes up, what? Must come down. Okay, what would happen with all that stuff? Well, the blanket of ejected material would settle nearly 18 feet deep on all of California. So if you didn't get ignited, you know, within 10 seconds, or if you didn't get knocked over in two minutes by the earthquake, within this, this six minute period, 18 feet of crumbled rock would start falling, kind of like in Pompeii. Vesuvius. Remember that from AD 70 in, in history back then. Okay, so, so if you didn't get that, in a half hour, the impact would come with a 70 mile an hour wind to blow over Los Angeles to get whatever's left, okay? But within, oh, uh, about six or about four hours, the winds would reach Tulsa. They would only be 22 miles an hour, but we would get a foot of rock coming down out of the sky. Now can you imagine our rooftops with a foot of dirt and rock settling on everything? That's from this event. Now New York City would be spared most of it. Uh, They wouldn't get anything until three and a half hours later. Uh, They would only get a half inch blanket and they would be fine. And they could watch it all on TV. But let's go back to Revelation 8. It says that this star fell from heaven burning like a torch. Whatever it is, it could be an asteroid, it could be a comet, it could be uh, just a plain old meteorite, or it could be some cosmic thing we don't know about. It could be some demon called Wormwood that comes flaming out of the sky and actually poisons and God lets him do it. We don't know. But let me tell you what the world said in 2004. In February of 2004, a California representative introduced legislature into Congress known as the Near Earth Object Survey, and he designated $40 million of our tax dollars to look for these objects. So they started looking and paying people to find them. Anything that's 100 meters across or larger. By May, three months later, a University of Hawaii astronomer, David Tholen, and the University of Arizona found a near-Earth object to claim their money, and they photographed it. And they photographed it coming toward us, and they collected their money, but a storm came, and they lost it. So nobody thought anything about it. They gave them a little bit of money. But six months later, at Thanksgiving of last year, some Australian astronomers spotted the object, found it was an asteroid, and named it 2004 MN4. That's the official astronomical name. 
A month of calculations later led the astronomers to announce to the world on Christmas Eve that an asteroid was on a direct hit trajectory with the Earth, and it's not a movie. They actually announced it. But you know what, in America, what were you doing on Christmas Eve? Were you watching the news? Were you reading the newspaper? No, we were so involved, we didn't even think about it. What happened two days later? The huge quake. And everyone was glued to their TV sets, so no one paid attention to this. They figured that it would impact the earth. They even gave us a date, Friday the 13th, in April of 2029. That's how exact NASA is. Well... It would be a local event. It would only flatten Texas or wipe out a couple of European countries, but it would be more powerful than all the atomic weapons in the world combined. Of course, that was forgotten by the next event. The earthquake of December 26 was the longest duration earthquake in history. Most earthquakes last a few seconds. This one lasted 600 seconds. That's how long that earthquake lasted, 600 seconds. The longest duration, the greatest power that's been recorded. It wasn't the highest magnitude, it was the greatest power ever recorded on the planet. The effect, it was the second largest deadliness factor. Nothing has killed more people other than in 1556, some quake in China killed 800,000, this one killed 300. Its magnitude is second, its effect, it made an 800 mile long gash in the earth. In some places, it moved 50 and 60 feet, like that. Every part of the earth moved. Every part. They've never experienced anything like that. Well, we've lived through the second biggest, second deadliest, longest, and most powerful earthquake. We've been warned a rock is heading toward us, and we have this solar storm thing. I want to close with you by going to Luke 21. Let's go from Matthew 24 to Luke's version. This is what I'm going to read before we go. Jesus actually tells us in Matthew what to do. It says those that endure to the end will be saved. He gives some advice. And I'm going to show you something which I've never done before. I mean, I went through all my seminary and I've studied and studied and studied and I did something this week I've never done before. I tracked the word Jesus used in Matthew 24 Because the Bible that Jesus carried around with him when he was here on earth was a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. It's called the Septuagint. Jesus memorized it. He quoted from it. He preached from it. He used it in his polemics and defenses. And so we have a Greek translation of the Old Testament. Now, that probably doesn't mean anything to you except this. That means every Hebrew word in the Old Testament has a Greek word assigned to it. And those Greek words that are assigned to the Old Testament occur in the New Testament too. And so all of a sudden we can see when Jesus says something in the New Testament and uses a Greek word, we can look in the Old Testament and track what he meant by that because he knew that Old Testament book. But basically, look what it says in Luke 21, 24. There'll be signs in the sun. We've seen that. Signs in the moon, signs in the stars. And the earth and the nations will be in anguish and perplexity. For the first time, man now has the ability to track these asteroids that could destroy our planet, or at least destroy the people under it. And that is bringing increased anxiety to people on this planet. And I'll tell you what, you know what Jesus said? He says they're going to be so aware of all this stuff coming toward them. People are going to keep reading Luke. Men will faint. It says, the next verse, from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Wow. 
mean, this is just the beginning. They're paying people to look for these rocks. And when they find one, they punch it in, and they calculate, just like we did for the, to get our men to the moon, they can just do reverse calculations and see when that thing's going to get here. And you know what? It's going to become almost monotonous, the reports of the stuff coming toward us. But in the tribulation, stuff is going to hit. And if it hits the Bay Area, California's gone. We get a foot of rock on our rooftops. Amazing. Well, what should we do about that? Jesus says it. The prophetic signs of Christ's coming are multiplying. He says, get ready to meet me. When we get ready, we live in hope of Christ coming for us. How do we do that? We learn to hope in the one who said that I have put you here on this planet for a purpose. I will preserve your life until you've finished the course that I've planned for you. And then I've anchored your soul to heaven. And I'll never lose you. And you'll never lose me. Let's bow before our great God in prayer. Father, I thank you that we can look up and see the, the fearful signs in the heavens, but they don't make us afraid. They make us cling to you. They make us check to make sure we have an anchor cord that ties us to heaven, to you, to your sacrifice when you gave yourself for us. And Lord, we know that you've told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And we're supposed to tell them that Jesus Christ died for sinners. And if they will acknowledge that sin and trust in you as their savior, that you are not willing that they should perish, but you have made for them a glorious offer of salvation. I pray that we who know you would not live in fear, but evangelize, and any who know you not, that before it's too late, before these events come, and the horrors of death stalk this planet, I pray that they would come to you, dear Lamb of God. Help us to be anchored by hope, and tonight as we track through your word, the scriptures that talk about our anchoring hope in you, O Christ. And we see you, Lord Jesus, using the beautiful language of the Hebrew Old Testament and translating it into the wonderful promises of the New Testament. May we be anchored by hope and be lifting up our heads for your redemption draws nigh.